Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. All right, welcome into the show. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you as uh, UCF is 1 0. We went 1 0, boys. Oh, boy. I know. They weren't. They weren't useless. They were. No, they were. They. They were not useless, and thus they were not useless. Uh, lots to talk about on this show. Uh, football dominated, of course. UCF one and zero after the victory, the resounding victory uh, at Georgia Tech. The Knights face the ECU Pirates on Saturday. We're going to talk about that with and more with Bubba Rosenbaum of the uh, Sports Objective Podcast, which follows. Uh, sports up in uh, Greenville, and uh, particularly ECU, along with other things. Uh, we're going to preview the game and talk about uh, some of the other things going on around the world of college sports um, as well. How is uh, Murph? Before we get going on that, how was uh, how was Atlanta? Tell us about Atlanta. Oh yeah, you know I did everything. You know I, I got into the airport. Uh, I took the very glamorous Uber to my cheap hotel by the airport. I walked to a hole-in-the-wall Louisiana uh, bistro joint and then went to bed and then (laughs) went to the game the next day and then uh, won $100 playing poker, Uh, but I could have done that. During the game? (laughs) No, well, maybe. Wow. Probably could have. And and then flew back. So really, it was a really extravagant trip. (laughs) <laughs> Any lemon pepper uh, wings uh, while you're no, there in Atlanta, was, Lou? No, there was no lemon pepper wings. There was nothing. Uh, there was nothing really unusual about it. Um, you know, obviously, like you know, walking around the campus of Georgia Tech on the day of the game, like you could tell, like, uh, wow, there's no one here. Like, there's, uh, I'm expecting like lines somewhere and people to be camping out and tailgating. And it's just like you know, sparse groups of people sort of walking around waiting for the gates to open. Um, you know, but everything else was was pretty as is. It felt pretty normal. Yeah, we we did our we did our post game interviews from a conference room, uh, you know, above the stadium when the players and coaches were in a locker room below the stadium. But that's like the that was like the weirdest thing about it. Otherwise, it felt like it looked like it was football. Well, it certainly was for about three quarters there uh, <laughs> until UCF turned it on in the fourth. Forty nine twenty one was the final. Um, what more can be said about that game than we uh, than could be said? But we're going to spin this thing forward to um, ECU, and this is uh, ECU's first game of the season. Remember, this game got bumped from ESPN Plus to ABC. Noon kickoff on Saturday. UCF at ECU at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Uh, 
Spread right now, 27 and a half points in favor of UCF, and that's up three points from where it opened, according to Odd Shark. The over-under is 77. 70% of the money is on UCF minus the 27 and a half. Um, of course, uh, Dowdy Ficklin's been the home of a lot of not-so-great memories for UCF over the years, but, but more recently, some very good memories, of course, including... Uh, Hale Perriman and uh, UCF comes in one and zero with the target on their back, and Holton Naylor is making his uh, making the start first start of his uh, junior season. So we wanted to catch up on the Pirates and see what the outlook is for them coming into this game. And for that, we uh, reached out to uh, the guys from the Sports Objective podcast. That's the Sports OBJ on Twitter, and uh, we heard from Bubba Rosenbaum, one of the cohorts of the Sports Objective. Uh, who's covered ECU for a long time. And here is our interview with uh, Bubba Rosenbaum. Bubba Rosenbaum, coming to us from North Carolina. What's going on, man? How's everything going up there? Going well. It's um, excited to be you know, finally in game week for the Pirates. And, of course, this was supposed to take place back on August 29th when East Carolina is going to open the year with Marshall in week zero. But it's been a long wait. But glad that it's finally here. Yeah, you know that uh, this is your uh, first game this year uh, with the Pirates. You've, you've gotten, you know, well, welcome to 2020, right? Every, everything that possibly can go wrong seemingly will. And you know, we don't have. You said that you know we were supposed to see you guys play Marshall in Week Zero, and then that got pushed back to September 12th, and that got wiped completely. And this is your opener here against uh, against UCF. Good news is it's on ABC at noon. Uh, we just got that word a couple days ago, but. Um, tell us about the atmosphere around the ECU program right now with regard to COVID-19 and what's been happening up there and how has the program been handling it? We've had a couple of pauses uh, during camp. Uh, One of those pauses was about a week and a half where uh, things were on pause for 10 or 11 days. And uh, so that really set things back on coach Houston, um, you know, prior Going back, you know, back to mid-March, he said the program was hands down on the best it had been, uh, as you would have hoped, uh, since he took over in December of 2018. Um, but like most programs, didn't get any spring ball or very little spring ball in. And so that really set things back. But he was pleasantly or um, just pleased with um, the progress throughout camp until those pauses hit and that set things back. And so they had to go back and install things that they wouldn't have had to. And it was almost like starting over, he said, but I'm very pleased with where they are right now. I'm going into the season opener on Saturday. This would have been game four, but it turned out to be game one. And so um, the biggest thing on the defensive side of the ball, you got a first year coordinator in Blake Carroll, who actually met with the media today for the first time in a while. Um, coordinators typically meet with the media the way coach Houston does things every every Wednesday during game week and he just said when he said what a first task huh, to try to slow down just an extremely potent offense like you guys um, with the Knights having scored what 39 excuse me 30 points in 39 of the last 40 games or whatever it is we're here with uh when we talk about ECU you remember Holton Aylers obviously he Got his very first start in 2018 uh, against UCF. Um, didn't quite go the way everyone everyone at ECU wanted to. He looked very, very raw. But you could clearly see the talent. Um, last year, 
uh, or 60% throwing the ball, 3,300 yards, 21 touchdowns, 10 picks. And, you know, what I thought he did a really good job of uh, was in the the last few games of uh, last season, you know, he threw for 535 in a game. He threw for 498 in another. He threw over 300 each of his last four games, uh, including 313 against UCF um, here in Orlando last year. Uh, and I, I really that that game against Southern Methodist when he threw for 498 and six touchdowns. I mean, in a two week span, he throws for over a thousand yards, ten touchdowns, and one interception at that one point last year. But uh, and against pretty good competition, what are you guys expecting from him, or have been, have been expecting from him uh, this year in terms of you know what he's been the the trajectory from last year he's in his third season now um what improvement should you are you expecting to see from him as you just mentioned Holton Aylers is a junior he he started playing as a true freshman in 2018 under the final year of uh, Scotty Montgomery's regime um but Holton so this is his uh, third year in the program but he was dealing with his um, coordinator change last year, uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick coming in with Coach Houston's staff, um, someone who is no stranger to East Carolina football, had been on Ruffin McNeil's staff, also Skip Holtz's staff. And so Coach Kirkpatrick today was a- actually uh, just talking about the growth of Holton Aylers, how last year um, the first half of the season definitely um, not the comfort level where you would want it and with the coordinator change and the new offense. Um, but really came on late in the year, um, had those games against Cincinnati and SMU specifically where he threw for just over or just under 500 yards in each of those ball games, a couple of the best games in East Carolina's football history in terms of passing yardage, and um, really, really lit it up. He's a dual-threat guy. He can hurt you with his legs as well. And Coach Kirkpatrick said you can see that he's had uh, well over a year in this system now. Unfortunately, he didn't have the second spring ball but uh, even so uh, he's comfortable making some of the checks and uh, um, just you know standing in the pocket and and going through his progression um, with a level of comfort that he did not have the first half of last season let uh, you mentioned Mike Houston this is obviously the beginning of his second season after coming over from James Madison where he won a national championship how was that move received, and what's what's fa- what do the Pirate Nation and the fans think of Mike Houston here as he begins his second season after the first season last year where you were competitive? I remember, everybody remembers you gave Cincinnati all they could handle in that primetime game at home where could have easily won that game. Uh, what what's, How does everybody feel about Mike Houston here after uh, going into his second year? Everything, everything um, or everyone, I should say, is pleased with where the program seems to be headed. Uh, they know – that he took over a depleted roster, um, that didn't make it easy to go through a four and eight season after you'd been through three straight three and nines under Coach Moe's regime. Um, but um, people were people were very very happy to see where this program's headed, and it's a hire that a lot of folks wanted to make. It's funny we've told this story several times when, when we've been on different shows, and that is that we had Mike Houston on our show back when he was at James Madison. And part of the reason we had him on is because we wanted the administration to consider hiring him as our <laughs> head coach. And fortunately for us, that, that came to fruition in December of 2018. It was a very quick process. We had an interim AD 
or actually wasn't considered interim AD. He was a consultant, a special assistant uh, to the the interim AD at the time, uh, Dave Hart, who's a very well-known AD. Um, He spent time at Florida State, Alabama, Tennessee in different roles. And, um, but he and John Gilbert, who is the AD now, uh, made that hire um, just a matter of a, a day or two after Mr. Gilbert was hired as AD. So um, it was it was the hire that most people wanted. It seemed like an obvious hire, an excellent fit. Um, Mike Houston had won everywhere he had been, and Lenore Ryan at the D2 level t- took them to a brink of a national title, uh, losing in the national title game. Um, at the Citadel, took over a program that was really struggling who uh, most people said you know, and couldn't compete for a conference title, just had to hope for you know, a seven, eight-win season, that kind of thing. But they were able to get that done there um, and knock, actually knocked off South Carolina uh, in the process. And, um, and then, obviously, everybody, you know, what he did at JMU, winning the national title and then falling just short of a second. So it's, it's a higher – and the thing – about it um, that makes it such a good hire in our eyes is that he had won different ways at everywhere he had been. And so it's, he's a guy that's very well connected in the state of North Carolina in the region um, and has those, has those recruiting ties that you would want in Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina to have success um, like we've had in the past. Well, one of the challenges that he faces and one of the reasons why ECU is still picked next to last in the American preseason poll was because of the defense. Boy, did they struggle last year. You guys were near the bottom in FBS in uh, total yardage, giving up at almost 470 yards a game and points given up at 33.7. What has been done to the defense to alleviate that problem? Defensively, uh, earlier in the interview, I referenced Blake Carroll. Blake Carroll's a guy that Mike Houston's very familiar with. Um, he, he is on the younger side. hasn't been He has been a coordinator before, um, but um, not for several years. Um, and most recently, last year, he spent at Kennesaw State, and they were one of the best defenses in FCS football. And then prior to that, he had also been at the Citadel. Um, did not go to Houston did not go to JMU with Coach Houston, excuse me, but um, he, he stayed at the Citadel because he had the opportunity to be defensive coordinator there and then moved on to that job at Kennesaw. But um, really brought in a lot of, a lot of uh, defensive linemen because that, that position group was depleted and um, also a lot in the defensive backfield because really needed to shore that area up as well. And um, they think they've done so extremely green in both of those areas, particularly on the defensive line. Um, and they do have some guys like Jaquan McMillan at corner that showed some things last year and uh, did pretty well as a true freshman at corner. Um, but um, a ton of question marks, and, and that's certainly not where you want to be anytime, but especially opening, off, opening the season off with a offense like UCF is so potent and plays at such a fast tempo um, could be very it could be a situation where the Pirates could not saying that they're going to score this many but they could score 50 and lose on Saturday my, <laughs> my buddies and I have talked about that <laughs> 
Wow. That'd be, well, that'd be a heck of a game. I'll tell you what, ABC would enjoy that, a high-scoring game like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that the offense has to carry this team early on, especially there's so, okay, you're very young on the defensive side of the ball? We've talked about Ehlers, but how is his offensive line and the skill positions that he's going to be throwing to and handing off to, does he have enough around him? Because I remember during his career at times, you know, he would face a lot of pressure, and he overcame it, which is tremendous. But what about the offensive line and the skill around him? Yeah, so at the end of that 2018 season, uh, Holton was certainly running for his life uh, a lot of the time and um, made something out of nothing uh, more often than not. But in, he was definitely taking too many hits. Last year, that wasn't as much the case. Um, but the offensive line has continued to improve under a 40-plus-year veteran uh, in Coach Steve Shankweiler, a guy who's actually in his fourth stint under his fifth head coach at East Carolina, something that's just unheard of. But Coach Shank, uh, he has some nice pieces to work with. Um, some of them are uh, fairly unproven, um, but he has some nice flexibility. And there's basically, I want to say, 10 to 12 guys that are going to be interchangeable in a lot of those offensive line spots. Um, you have a guy that's a first-year center in Fernando Fry. He, he played at guard last year, but had a couple of centers have to exit the program early due to um, – suffering um, an extreme number of concussions and so forth. Um, so with John Spellacy and, an, and another center exiting the program, Fernando Fry made that transition. And then you have um, another concern at tackle. The Pirates are extremely light. So you, you have Deontay Smith, who's very talented, and he actually had played guard very well um, in the 285 range probably in the past. So that's that's not as much of a concern with him being just 275 this year, although it, it is uh, of concern. But the, the bigger concern is Bailey Malovic at the other tackle position at the quarterback's blind side, if I'm not mistaken. And he is just 257 pounds, which it sounds like an offensive lineman from the 1970s. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, he is extremely athletic, but uh, he, he needs to add another 25 or 30 pounds probably to his frame. Get him going to some of those barbecue places over in Greenville, man. Fill, yeah, fill yeah, that kid yeah. up. He's, he's one of those. He's one of those. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on his hair, but uh, no. he's one of those that that uh, really did not benefit from everything that went on the last five or six months because he needed to have the July and August time in the weight room that he did not get. Hmm. The uh, I want to talk about the history of. ECU a little bit, and particularly these two programs. This will be the 19th meeting, which I think UCF and ECU, ECU is the, is the one team in the American that UCF has played the most. Uh, and going back to the very first meeting back in 1991, uh, when uh, Bill Lewis was the head coach at ECU. And you know, when people think UCF and ECU, they think of 2014 and what we call Hale Perriman, uh, the Hail Mary in Greenville. <laughs> Which I, 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 which I'm sorry to bring up because I know how much because uh, I know how. Uh, it, it's the ex- only time we've had success at the Boneyard. That's you know, there was fair. Many years there where you guys had our number there and some great games yeah. going back to Conference USA. But but I what I wanted yeah, to ask was that that was the last time you guys won more than five games was that season in 2014. You went eight and five under Ruffin McNeil. Ruffin was, I, I according to us at least, you know, from our perspective controversially let go after 2015 
and then and then the Scotty Montgomery experiment happened, and three you know three straight three and nines, and then Mike Houston's here. UCF fans kind of look at 2014 and that and that particular game is like the game that basically killed ECU football for right now. Do you guys view it the same way? Uh, a lot of folks do, yes. Um, and to answer your question, a lot of Pirate Nation would certainly agree with you as far as it being a controversial firing of Ruffin McNeil, um, especially how it went down um, handled in a pretty classless manner um, by the previous administration. Um, by all accounts, um, the way he had to find out through social media instead of being communicated with face-to-face like he should have been. But, uh, yeah, Coach Ruff, things maybe slipped in certain ways, but at the very least, um, especially given the fact that he was without his quarterback, Kurt Benkert, in that 2015 season, in our estimation, should have received another year uh, to get things back on track and um, prove that the program was, in fact, still headed in the right direction. Uh, and a lot of folks probably would say that for sure because we had a chance to have a back-to-back 10-win seasons. When we had gone 10-3 and three in 2013, and uh, that year, um, yes, 8-5 and five was still a decent year for sure, um, but we had, the, we had the Hail Mary game with UCF, and we also got beat on the last-second field goal with Cincinnati and um, had a heartbreaking loss to Florida in the bowl game. So that was a game – or excuse me, a season where we really felt like we should have won 10 or 11 ball games and just won eight. Uh, and after that point, um, it seemed, seemed as those things were pretty, pretty downhill for sure. Um, and then maybe not that wasn't the specific point, but because um, the next year we were still pretty competitive. Uh, so if it wasn't that game, then maybe the South Carolina game, of the 2016 year, we'd started off 2-0 and under Scotty Montgomery with a blowout win over Western Carolina and then also upset NC State at home. And then um, really probably should have beaten South Carolina but turned the ball over four times in the red zone and, and lost a heartbreaker um, close ball game down in Columbia and then just got blown out the next week at Virginia Tech and it was all downhill after that. So, um Maybe that 2014 game, but definitely the 2016 South Carolina game. <laughs> Coach Ruff, by the way, he's uh, he's up at NC State now. Is that right? As a special assistant, he is. He, he's a special assistant, Dave Dorn at NC State, and it's still tough to see him wearing red. But I bet definitely happy for him. We, we've had him on the Sports Objective several times. He's a friend of the show, and definitely um, still loves his alma mater. But hey, it's a business. And he had to do what was best for him and his family. And and you admire him for he hated to leave Oklahoma and his good good friend, uh, almost like a son to him, Lincoln Riley. But his dad wasn't doing particularly well, so this gives him an opportunity to be back home, close to his dad, and then also do what he can continue to do, what he loves, and being around young men and molding them through the game of football. Yeah, and so, so it, it, you don't see too many guys in college football who are universally admired and respected the way that Ruffin McNeil was. I'll leave the last word to Eric. Go ahead, man. Well, I'm going to bring some positives here because Jeffrey kind of brought a very down period there in ECU. But uh, I, yeah. I want to ask you about the whole athletic uh, athletics of ECU. Obviously, I, I've been to ECU a couple of times. I've enjoyed – I love the Boneyard. The facilities there are tremendous for football. The baseball stadium is tremendous. Obviously, we follow Coach Cliff Godwin, who used to be here as an assistant, and the great job he's done at ECU. He's been the standard 
in a lot of ways in baseball for the American and getting to the Supers uh, and so forth. Where are we with John Gilbert? You mentioned he's the athletic director there. I got to know Terry Holland a little bit uh, when they were building the facilities, and he gave me a tour in 2011 of the Boneyard, and he retired in 2012. And I know at that time the goal was to get to the Big East. We, we all know what happened with the Big East and all that, but how do you feel about – how did Pirate Nation feel about John Gilbert and the direction of ECU athletics as a whole? Obviously hoping to improve football, which is big there, but – you have a great baseball program, and I know it's a basketball program you're trying to get on the positive side. Just give us an overall landscape with John Gilbert and your thoughts on him. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, it's, it's awesome that you had the opportunity to meet Coach Terry Holland. Um, thank the world of Coach Holland and uh, really appreciate all he did for East Carolina and I hate the way that his dismissal, how, how that went down, um, even though it didn't exactly uh, – come across and into the media as, um, as a firing because um, that he was really uh, forced out by a handful of individuals and I, I to this day you know, do not understand that whatsoever with everything he did for East Carolina uh, because he certainly was not perfect but um, he did a whole lot more right um, than he did wrong for sure but um, moving to your question about John Gilbert um, folks seem to be very very pleased uh, thus far uh, one of the things that did I know um, just kind of frustrates some people. He's just a product of the times and the situation he was left in, in my in my opinion, by the previous administration, having to cut some sports. Um, the ECU swimming and diving program had been very successful through the years, but uh, it had won a couple of American Athletic Conference championships at least, and uh, they had to cut it, and then also the men's and women's tennis programs. So having to cut those four sports, was something that a lot of people, um, some folks understood it, some folks uh, maybe even though they understood it uh, didn't like it because of um, just kind of the, the, I don't know, the optics of it. But uh, all in all, I think most people have been very pleased with John Gilbert. He's very personable the way Terry Holland was. Um, however, I think um, just being honest in some respects, while he has been an excellent communicator, and um, done a lot of things extremely well. Um, there are things that folks are probably still, uh, the jury is still out on, so to speak, in, in terms of maybe scheduling. Um, haven't really picked up any any uh, big scheduling coups since, since he took over. So that is one thing that uh, some folks are keeping an eye on to see how that is moving forward um, because there's no secret the the financial situation in East Carolina leaves a lot to be desired. So he and the current administration are forced to dig out of a, a deficit uh, that is uh, ever-growing, especially with the current times with the coronavirus. Yeah, well, I mean, it's something that we're all trying to get through one one day at a time, man. And it's, uh, well, I mean, you know, an example of the times is, kickoff of this game your first game of the season happening uh happening so late on uh, september 26 but it's happening finally at long last ucf at ecu noon kickoff on abc um moved over from espn plus interestingly enough so that's a big win for both schools in terms of exposure bubba rosenbaum from the sports objective podcast bubba where can people uh reach out to you to follow all the latest on the pirates yeah, appreciate that. Um, on Twitter, 
It's at the Sports OBJ on Instagram at the Sports Objective. Uh, like and follow us on Facebook, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, yes, our focus is East Carolina athletics, but we'll also have uh, other sports figures or sports personalities of interest. Um, for example, we'll always have an annual chat with Phil Steele. Um, we'll, we'll talk to the likes of uh, a Charlie Ward or a Jim McMahon or, or other uh, prominent sports figures such as those. Um, that, that people would undoubtedly recognize that they love sports. Um, so give us a listen. Um, like I said, it's, you can. a lot of our shows are actually on um, or with video on Facebook and YouTube, but then also pretty much any podcast platform, whether it's through TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, you name it. Uh, if it's a podcast platform, you can probably find us there by simply searching the sports objective. Cool stuff. All right. And you, will you be at the game on Saturday? I know there's limited, uh, very limited attendance, right? I will be. Um, th- there'll be 350 tickets um, distributed, and those will be going to 250 East Carolina parents or family members, and then 100 to UCF um, football team members' parents, and then also um, members of the media. There will be a limited uh, availability as far as credentials. And last year we had two, and this year we have one. So um, my co-host suggested that that I go to this one. And so I will, in fact, be at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium on Saturday about 11 o'clock is when they're going to open Town Bank Tower, the, the new press box that was open last year. All right, man. It's uh, I mean, Dowdy Ficklin, you know, Eric and I and uh, our partner, uh, Brian Murphy, we all – um, really, really enjoy that place because it's we think it's one of the most underrated venues in all of college sports. Uh, just a, a, an incredible sp- stadium, the great, a, a good atmosphere, especially when um, when ECU is good. And here's hoping that uh, ECU can improve, but not just yet. Absolutely, <laughs> we, we appreciate the kind words, and um, we certainly, um, obviously, we're a little biased, but um, we we think Daddy Ficklin's an excellent venue, um, probably one of the top venues on the East Coast, especially when the Pirates are playing good football, um, like you just referenced. But uh, I know my my parents and uh, some other friends have had the opportunity to uh, attend games at the Bounce House over the years. Unfortunately, I was unable to to accompany them because I was coaching high school football at the time, but. Um, uh, I've been there, just not for a game. Uh, so hopefully, I will make it down to a game in Orlando here in the future. All right, man. When you do, when you do, we got we got to get together. Thanks again, public. Take it easy. All right. Absolutely. Look forward to joining you guys real soon. All right. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com. Special thanks once again to Bubba Rosenbaum in the previous segment from the Sports Objective for 
giving us the lowdown on uh, ECU, who's in a just the, the weirdest position right now, starting their season on September 26th. Um, and uh, and they come out as uh, 27 and a half point underdogs to UCF. It's 70% uh, of the money, according to Odd Shark, is on UCF minus the 27 and a half. Um, now, uh, Murphy, you, we heard from Bubba that uh, there's only going to be about 500 fans there uh, or 500 people there in the stadium, all uh, obviously limited media. And then, you know, parents, parents or close literally. family, literally the parents from both squads are going to be there and that's it. And um, so it's going to, so it's not the usual Dowdy Ficklin that we're so used to, but um, this, uh, I, I always have a hard time gauging Murph. Like, you know, when, when you're playing a team that's playing their first game and you haven't seen them yet, um, but what are what's the sense that you're gaining from this matchup? Is that twenty seven and a half point line justified? Oh, it is hard to say because again we haven't seen them. But uh, just judging from certainly years past, I don't think it's a that's not a, that they're not that that line is not condemning Ailers, who I think people respect, and certainly he's gotten some preseason love from the conference. Um, but it's it's the defense. The defense is just. Has just been tr- was just absolute trash last year. Let's be honest. And I don't, you know, people were like, "How can they stop UCF's offense?" Especially after we saw UCF, we've, we've seen this offense once, and we saw them play an ACC team on the road, and they put up 49 after basically taking a quarter off. Uh, so yeah, I, I have no problem with the line. And, I, and as far as the the crowd and the lack of crowd, you know, a lot of the players were complimentary of Georgia Tech. And the way that their fans reacted to things and sort of were into the game and loud and booing the refs and made that sort of feel like an atmosphere. And I agree. I thought that I thought that that, that stadium was louder than I expected. Um, but but you know the players have been asked this week about playing in a stadium with with maybe literally no fans or just parents. And uh, I don't think they're worried about it at all. I, I know Eric Mitchell said literally. Uh, that that right there is not a problem. I'm always going to bring the juice to the defense, which of course led to another reference to if you're juiceless, you're useless, <laughs> which seems to be catching on by the week, and I'm totally fine with. Um, so that's not going to be a problem. I think the only problem really here is is if they let Ehlers sort of create on his own and they don't pressure him, uh, he can he can be really dangerous because he's he, he, he I, I, you know obviously as you guys talked about he's an athlete he can run he's got a huge arm. But it's the pieces around him, and he probably doesn't have enough. Let's hear from Josh Heupel real quick on uh, on what he said about ECU uh, earlier this week. You, you look at East Carolina and, and uh, what they did the second half of last season. Uh, they put up a bunch of points and were in a bunch of tight football games. Uh, it's a prideful group, year two for their, their staff with their players. Um, I don't think our kids are going to take anything lightly. Um, this is a big football game for us. Uh, it's the next one on our schedule. It's the only one that we get a chance to go win this Saturday. That's Josh Heupel talking about uh, ECU. And one of the things that we that we kind of talked about before, Eric, and I know we mentioned in our interview with Bubba, um, something looked like it was starting to click with ECU's offense at the end, at the tail end of last year, particularly in the second half, and we talked about the nearly back-to-back 500-yard games that uh, Holton Aylers had um, against uh, against two pretty good teams, including Cincinnati uh, and, uh, and SMU. But um, you know, it looked like he kind of turned a corner there, didn't he? He really did. And remember last year in the UCF game, Murph, we were, we were there where you know they outplayed UCF in the second half. And I know that UCF had a big lead, but 
they moved the football on UCF. And to me, Brian, my concern, and I'm kind of your thoughts on this, ECU with Ehlers, he's mobile, can throw the football. You know, the offensive line was much improved, as Bubba mentioned in the interview from the year before. They protected him well. And I thought UCF defensively in Atlanta, I know people focused on the five turnovers, but I thought they were average overall. I think they could play better. I know we talked about in the season preview that we thought this would be a strength and you know one a really strong defense. I thought they were average, in particular in the linebackers and PFF even graded them as average. Is that a concern based on what you saw in Georgia Tech? And one of the things you want to see improvement because if they don't, I think if they don't play better, I think East Carolina will score points. Absolutely, and if you looked at that game, you could see there were multiple breakdowns in communication. Mostly in coverage, when linebackers and safeties were in coverage against running backs, Georgia Tech would send a running back out just into the flat or maybe running a little route, and no one would be near him. And this happened you know, twice on one drive, I think, with Eric Gilliard. This happened right before the half, when Georgia Tech scored right before the half. There was a mix-up between Zamari Maxwell and Dylan Lester, the safety, as to who's covering the running back, and neither of them did. I think it was Lester's fault. Uh, there, were, there were definite the communication issues there. That need to be ironed out, and I think to, also to your point, Eric, you know, I, you know, I the, the secondary was fine to me. The defensive line was pretty good. I thought the defensive line was really good actually because Randy Charlton was active. We, you know, Josh Selaskar, we could talk about him all day long and what he did as a true freshman in his first game. Uh, and the second level was okay, and then the secondary was okay too. But as I kind of wrote earlier this week in my checklist review, because I really wanted to see how their young corners would perform against Georgia Tech. And we really didn't get to see a whole lot of that because Georgia Tech doesn't have the type of offense that is going to challenge your perimeter corners. Uh, Jeff Sims right now is much more of an athlete than he is a quarterback. Uh, He wants to keep it safe. He wants to keep it underneath, middle of the field. So he's challenging linebackers and safeties. The outside corners, if they are challenged, it's usually on a pass that's five yards past anybody who can catch it. And Sims threw a number of those balls on Saturday. It was really kind of, um, disheartening to watch. I mean, even as a UCF fan, you're like, wow, they could really be closer in this game if he was just on target with some of these really open, easy throws. And so I want to see more from those corners. Uh, I want to see more from Corey Thornton and Devontae Brown and Justin Hodges. And I think this is the type of game where you're going to see it because Holt Naylor is not afraid and he's going to throw it everywhere. Sometimes that gets him into trouble because he doesn't, because, you know, last time we saw him, he didn't really know where the ball was going. That'll be interesting to see if he's improved in that area. (laughs) But he has a huge arm, and he's not afraid to use it all over the field. Where do you rank him in the conference as far as quarterbacks? You know, we've talked a lot. Obviously, Dylan at the top, Shane Bichelle at SMU up there on that list uh, as well. Uh, You know, where where do you rank him? We got White, obviously, in Memphis. But, like, where where do you you put Ehlers right now in the league? I I think he's a top-half quarterback that's kind of under the radar because, you know, we saw it last year. We brought it up the Cincinnati game. They could have easily won. They moved the football. Where do you rank them? Yeah, I think that's about right. I think about, about top half, around five or six. Um, God, I forget Tulane's quarterback's name. I'm looking it up right now um, <laughs> because he's really good too. Uh, but but then you know he's like five. So he's like five or six. Um, but that's not a knock. Like there's some like like you said. There's some good. There's some good. There's some good uh, quarterbacks in this conference. Uh, and I, I'm really and like I think. You know, Willie Martinez, you know, really sort of, uh, uh, you know, stressed it this week when we were talking to him, the secondary coach and the assistant coach for UCF, talking about how this is year three for him. And this is really the year where, 
you know, most players, you know, they, they, they the, the grow the growing pains are over with. You really understand the system. You really integrate into it fully. Now you become, you know, fully realized. And I, and I'm I'm intrigued to see what we're going to see out of Holton in his third year. I also want to mention because we talked about how in the second half of the last the second half of last year's game, UCF got outplayed. That is going to be that is that has been mentioned and that will be mentioned throughout the course of this week. Uh, here's, <laughs> a quote, here's a quote from Willie about that. He goes. We've got something to prove too, because we didn't play really well in the second half the last time we played them, um, and so I think that stuff is going to be pounded into the, into the defense's head that we're going to have to play a full sixty minutes, even if you're up by thirty at the half, because they do not want to see a repeat of what happened in twenty nineteen. Well, that would make sense too, since ECU hasn't played a game. What tape are you watching? Of course, you're going to show them the tape of the second half <laughs> for yeah. when East Carolina out, you know, outplayed you. And, uh, and and remind them, hey, these guys outplayed you last year, so you better be ready to play for 60 minutes. Actually, I think that makes a ton of sense uh, yeah. on that. But obviously, offensively, UCF was tremendous last week against Georgia Tech. And one guy that took notice of that was ECU head coach Mike Houston, who had uh, – he knows that his defense, which has many questions and youth, has got a hand, their hands full on this Saturday when they face UCF's offense. Obviously, we have, uh, you know, a, a – Great opponent coming in here Saturday. Uh, UCF is one of the top teams in the country. Uh, you know, we saw witness of that this past weekend when they took on a much improved Georgia Tech team, who I watched against Florida State the weekend before, in their win down in Tallahassee. And uh, you know, UCF was very impressive in their blowout win uh, this past Saturday in Atlanta and uh, putting up 660 yards and scoring 49 points. So, uh, you know, tough opponent coming in here. But, uh, you know, it's, it's good to start it off with uh, what has been, you know, the, the best team in the AAC over the past uh, three seasons. Uh, you know, we get a chance to start off with them at home. So it's an exciting matchup for our players. Uh, they're excited about it. Uh, they're excited about, uh, you know, being at home for the opener. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, can't wait to get out on the field. So uh, I expect us to have a good week of practice this week. Uh, I expect us to come out uh, fired up and ready to go on Saturday. And uh, 12.05 kickoff, uh, it'll be good ba- Good to be back to some pirate football. That's Coach Houston from uh, ECU. By the way, in case we didn't, uh, we didn't already let you know enough, um, with 8.23 to go in the second quarter of last year's game, UCF was up 35-3. The final was 41-28. So that means in the last 37 minutes or so of the game uh, with ECU last year, the Pirates outscored UCF. 25-6, to six. and uh, I imagine that the UCF defense is going to hear a lot about that the remainder of the week, aren't they, Murph? Absolutely. We've talked about it. They are they, they're going to be probably showing the game tape from last year's second half, yeah. and only that remind them of, of what, what, you know, what went wrong, because a lot of those guys are back. You know, a lot of those guys were in that, were in that game, yeah. so uh, no, they'll definitely be reminded of that uh, frequently. 483 yards of total offense ECU put up against UCF. Of course, UCF had 611. Oh, uh, by the way, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, they're, and they're still we're still good offensively, aren't we, Murph? Last week they put on a good show. Uh, they're led by Mr. Young Dylan Gabriel. Who any questions people had about the road, I think was silence. Now that that kid is such the truth. Uh, it, it's you know I will say the first thing I wrote about too this week was how well he was protected. And, you know, he was sacked twice. One of those sacks was on uh, a running back, not picking up a blitzer. Really, otherwise, the offensive line was really, really good. And because of that, 
they just gave Dylan so many clean pockets. He had, you know, four or five feet in front of him to step up and throw, and just you know, from all angles, they, from the side and from the front, he he had so much clean area to operate. And when you give him that, he is he is surgical, and it's it's fun to watch because I mean, you he, he can throw 20, 30, 40 yards downfield. And it's as if the guy is right next to him. Mm. His accuracy is immaculate. And I think it's even improved since last year, too, just watching where he was placing balls. Uh, for, I mean, the two throws in the end zone to Marlon Williams were just the, the God-tier throws. I mean, I mean, Jeff, Jeff it's the same play, right? It's the yeah, same. it's the same exact play, same exact throw to the outside shoulder. And the first one, which was toward the near side, like I, I had to rewind it several times to see how that ball got to Marlon Williams because I thought for sure it was going to get picked off. And you're talking about a throw from the far side, from the far hash. Mm-hmm. Twice they pulled that off, and it's and it was it, it's it's a per, you can't defend the perfect throw. That's why Dylan's the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback of the Week this week. Yeah, and I, I spotlighted those two throws uh, again in the in the checklist review because they were the best throws of the game. He made some other good throws to Jalen Robinson uh, and, and to Trey Nixon, but man, oh man, just the the accuracy, the precision, the placement was perfect. Also, the one where Marlon had to turn, had to turn around to get it, that is a really good catch on Marlon's part because he's got to get that awareness around and know that you know where the ball is going to hit him immediately. Uh, that was great. Uh, it, it was just. Man, oh man, this kid is so much fun to watch when he's got a clean pocket. And then we saw this 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 week too that if things break down, he's not as afraid and more comfortable to run away. Yeah. And and they're drawing up they're drawing up design plays for him to run the ball. And he's reading you know the the crashing linemen more than he did last year. They're reading them better out of the RPO. Eric doesn't yeah. like that, by the way. Who no, does? I don't. I don't want him to run that much. Like. Here's my thing. The guy is a magnificent passer out of the pocket, uh, throws this beautiful of a football. And I would argue if he continues this, this you know, the trajectory that he's going at, I can make the argument he's the best pure passer UCF's had since maybe Ryan Schneider and, and, and be in that conversation with Culpepper. And so I don't want him running so much to the point where, hey, you know, you could risk some injuries. Now I understand, you know, in a big game situation, a conference championship game, you want to use that a little bit. Yeah. But in my opinion, guys, I just don't think he's the natural runner that a, that a, that a McKenzie Milton was. It doesn't. And I, and I certainly don't feel comfortable when he slides. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's so, got to work on that. You can tell Dylan probably didn't play that much baseball as a kid. Cause that slide yeah. really needs some work. So to me, I'm, I'm okay with him being in the pocket. I know people are like, oh, you got to keep him off balance offensively. Listen, with the weapons he's got and the way he throws the football in a tight window, I mean, some of those, as you mentioned, those passes, it wasn't like there was a, like a lot of space between the receiver and the defensive back in some of those throws. I'd just yeah. rather keep him in the pocket and air it out. Like, do you think Andy Reid's telling Patrick Mahomes, hey, man, we, we need you to run 10, 12 times to keep the defense on it? <laughs> no, no. no, but it's, it's the same it, – it's the same – theory right it's like you you have to keep the linebackers honest by presenting yeah. that threat and I, if he's smart about it it'll be fine it's a baseball analogy for me which i know shocks both no. shocking uh and it's literally like if you have you know four pitches you and you have to you have to make the batter respect all four pitches by at least sprinkling even your fourth pitch in there sometimes to show them to show them that this could be something i use okay 
But here's how I'll, I'll counter your analogy there. That makes sense if you're facing Mike Trout or Bryce Harper or Aaron Judge. But if you're facing, you know, the number nine stiff hitter, I don't want you to, you know, why are you wasting time with him? Uh, I think it's because they want to show, put that on tape. Yeah. Like, like all pitchers too. You got to put that on tape for your future opponents to go, we got to prepare for this. Yeah, I, that's absolutely right. There's no doubt about it. Um, I wanted to, uh, oh, quick, injury updates. Um, that was the one thing that I think was a real issue for UCF, obviously, out of Georgia Tech. Um, Trey Nixon, obviously, is the one who garners the most concern. Um, any updates on that? Uh, I know Greg McRae got banged up and a couple other guys got banged up. What's the latest, Murph? Yeah, so, no, we don't have firm word on Trey Nixon. Uh, because, you know, look, college coaches don't like to divulge information. You know, this is part of the, the gamesmanship idea of, well, if they don't know he's out, then they got to prepare for him too. I, I would be shocked if Trey plays. We don't know the exact injury, but it, it certainly doesn't sound good uh, from, from things that I've heard. But, like, we'll, we'll see if Trey – we'll see if, if Coach Heupel confirms that on Thursday. Well, he's scheduled to meet with the media uh, in mid, on midday Thursday. We'll ask him again and see what he has to say. Uh, but I would not expect him to play. Greg McRae, interestingly enough, uh, Coach Anthony Tucker, who's the running backs coach, the assistant offensive coordinator for UCF, was asked about Greg, who got rolled up really ugly. Very fortunate to come yeah, out. Yeah, that was that. really scary I, when I saw it on TV. Yeah, I mean, he got pulled down. His right ankle got rolled up really badly. Uh, it sounds like he came out, uh, you know, okay. No worse for wear. Uh, to use Tucker's words today, he said that Greg has been great quote-unquote, has been great in practices today and yesterday, Wednesday and Tuesday. So uh, that sounds good. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it just means he's been great in, you know, on the sideline or individual drills. I don't know. Because <laughs> sometimes, guys, I know this is also a shock, coaches lie. So sometimes no. you, I don't. No way. No I, way. I, so, I don't believe what you're saying. I know. I know. So we'll see. We'll look on. We'll, look, we'll all find out on Saturday, right? But it's it looks somewhat positive for a great McRae. Otherwise, uh, I think the other major guy, uh, the guy to watch was Antoine Collier, who I got to commend and laud for just his toughness. So the dude is basically a heat-seeking missile. He doesn't see, he's never seen something that he didn't think he could just bowl right through. Uh, <laughs> it's great to watch him play because he's not a big guy, but man, does he like to hit people. And in this game against Georgia Tech, early on, he ended up injuring. Uh, his right shoulder or arm or elbow area on his right side is uh, right his right arm, and he he was down for a while. Went out of the game, came back in, and didn't stop playing like he plays. And bowled into someone else on Georgia Tech and re-injured that same shoulder and arm again, and was down for a couple more minutes, flexing the arm. And they brought the trainers out, and he came back in again. And we saw him walk. We saw him walk off the field. He made it through the entire game in Georgia Tech. Uh, I assume he'll be out there this weekend because he did make it through that entire game. But I have to imagine that Monday, Sunday, Monday was not uh, was a painful day. It was a painful day for Antoine Collier. Twan, man, don't scare us like that. He's, I mean, it's but he's fun to watch. Yeah, he is. Literally, he's a pit bull. He, is he like going back to the, you know he made the interception in the Peach Bowl? Has he become like the biggest unsung hero of that defense? I don't know about that. What's What's funny about Twan? Is that he's extremely humble and not a guy who talks. Uh, very quiet, at least you know, with, with all of us, he's one of the most quiet, quiet players on this team. You know, we we've got guys who like to talk, like 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 McKenzie, Otis Anderson, 
uh, or Eric Mitchell, Richie Grant, uh, Antoine Collier is very, very, very quiet. And I think you get that sense on the field too, uh, where where he's not really a, a sh- you know a show out kind of guy. He just plays really hard, really physical, and he's and he's solid. I don't I don't know if he's flashy. I you know this like yeah he had the interception in the Peach Bowl. Uh, granted, it was you know he, he kind of lofted it up there, and he was at the right place at the right time. Um, but he is just solid. He's absolutely you know he's just he's just a solid player. Well, I'm glad he's all right. I guess we'll have to wait on Trey. Hopefully, we'll get some good news from him, and hopefully, Greg McRae is also uh, also in good shape um, as well. All right, guy. Oh, go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. I'll find out. I'll find out at uh, Saturday at noon. I'll let you know. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Great timing. All right, I'm going to put you guys both on the spot one more time. Again, 27.5 point uh, line for this game as of right now, Wednesday night. I don't know what the over-under is. 77. By the way, that over-under has skyrocketed because I saw it last night. It was 72.5. Yeah. Wow. So so 77 over-under, 53% on the under. Uh, 70% is on UCF minus the 27.5. And, and that 27.5 shot up from 24.5 where it opened. So uh, I'm putting uh, both of you guys on the spot, starting with you, Eric Lopez. Um, what are you thinking? I'm staying away from that. Like, I don't know. Like, Mer- <laughs> who's playing? It's a four-touchdown game. Who's playing in this game? Like, we don't even know. Like, to Merv's point, like, for, uh, as we've learned anything from 2020, we may get surprises on either end there. I mean, ECU's had their own issues, uh, their issues there with COVID. I, I'll i say this. If that number goes up to 28, 28 and a half, I might take ECU. Uh, because I do think they can move the football and score some points. Now, that, that hook is th- awfully tasty. Yeah. So, I think that's the key number there. Because I, I actually have been more, you know, if this was a normal night game at the Boneyard with a lot of people, I actually would be worried about this game. I was more worried about this game than the Georgia Tech game prior to the schedule changing and everything. But I think the fact that it's a noon game and there's literally family and friends at the building, I think actually helps UCF in that regard as long as they don't have a letdown. Um, so I'm going to huh, – I'm staying away from the point spread, though. I, you know, no, sir, because you can dominate the game, and Murph knows this. How many times have we seen over the years a game go one-sided, and then that team scores it, gets that backdoor cover at the end by scoring yeah. a couple scores? Did you see like a 47-20 type game or something like that, right? 50, yeah, I mean fifty. I mean seventy-seven is a lot. If that, I mean that is insane. I mean that's got to be one of the highest over/unders on the board of the whole of the whole day. Yeah. I gotta believe. Uh, but I it mean, tells you, you know, I mean, but yet we say that and you think about it, if UCF, all they got to do is score what? 49, 56 points. East Carolina scores what? 21, 28 points. And you're there. Murph? Like, like it's so weird how you how easy you made that sound. Like, all they got to do is score 50. And the other right. scores 28. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we even talking about here? Yeah. Like, 56. <laughs> like, if UCF, think about it. UCF scores 56. All they got to do is give up twenty more than tw- uh, what twenty four points to East Carolina, and it's still a blowout. It's not. <laughs> That's it's not hard. That's hard to do. I don't All like right, this conversation. I don't. I don't like ahead, this. I'm, I'm taking the over. You go ahead. You're gonna take the under, Murph. You're gonna take it. Go ahead. I'll uh, I'll, I'll throw out a couple of stats because I had to look this up uh, yesterday. Uh, East Carolina is one and five against the spread in their last six games as a home dog, and six of the last seven games between these two teams has gone over the total. 
so it's going to be high scoring, but mm. I don't, none of those games were at 77. And I, 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 so I don't know if I have the testicular fortitude to, to take that number. I would probably bet the under there. And I will say UCF, you know, clears at 27 and a half, but I can't go 77. Like, let's say they win. I could see them winning like 55 to 20 and like, well, didn't get there. <laughs> so no. Did, yeah. Didn't get there, but covered. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, man. I just, you know, me with these big numbers, man, I always get, I always get frightened, especially when it's against the team that's playing at home and we haven't seen ECU play yet. I just, I I don't even want to. I will say this. I will say this to your point. If this game goes under, that's probably good news from a UCF standpoint, which probably means the defense played well, right? Like if this game goes over, then probably the defense had some struggle. So I, to your point, uh, if the defense plays up better than they did against Georgia Tech, it should go under. But, uh, you know, I think ECU is actually a better offensive team than Georgia Tech with a better quarterback. And I do wonder – about a bit of a letdown there. I mean, this is right. Like, if you're ECU, this is exciting. It's your home. It's your opener, and you're playing a nationally ranked team. You're going to be all fired up. UCF better match the juice, if you will, of ECU. Yeah, if you're better. juiceless, you're useless. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, it's a dead horse. Uh, <laughs> but look, it was Georgia Tech's home opener too, and they just beat Florida State, and they got trucked in the fourth quarter. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You know, my, you, know my, why, my, you know why, Murph? Because we're the best team in the state. Hey, hey, Dylan Gabriel said what he said. Yes. Quote, unquote, I said what I said. All right. <laughs> let's let's take a break real quick, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about that to wrap it up. All right? Stick around. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. For me, I, I've, I, I was always kind of put UCF. They, yeah, I'll see. Let's keep watching them, keep watching them. And now I'm to a point where, it, it, they should very, at the very least, be invited and and talked about. And at the end of the day, if if they just don't, you know, if they don't quite stack up to to some of the other teams in the Power Five, so be it. But at least they're there, and they should be. If they run the table, they should be in that discussion and and be talked about. But I got to say, fellas, one of the things that really uh, stood out to me from this past weekend, especially a week after the Big 12 went 0-3 against the Sun Belt, is what Oklahoma State looked like. And I started thinking about it as I juxtaposed that to what I saw from UCF. And I think there's an argument right now to be made that the AAC is a better conference top to bottom from a depth standpoint than the Big 12 is. Now, you factor in Oklahoma and Texas and what they are. The top is really good, the Big 12, but it's been just such a poor show. So when you look at UCF, you look at Memphis, if they can ever get themselves back on the field, and Cincinnati, American has, has earned the reputation to be part of the Power Six at this point in the year, and I can't wait to see more from them because this could be a year they can, can get themselves Randy, in the playoff. Now let's get into a team that I've not generally been great to, UCF. Are we good? What Can we, like – can we, like, hug it out? I'm in my house. Like, it's been a rough day. Can we hug it out? Because you looked great. You really did. And I'm giving you props. UCF, you look like the real deal. All right? You were the real deal a couple of years ago, and you look like the real deal this year. And if there's going to be a year where a group of five team gets into the playoff, it's probably a year like this, right? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows whose games get postponed and so on and so forth? So UCF, Nice job today. That was an absolute thumping of Georgia Tech. 
so good on you. And that's a Georgia Tech team, remember, that beat Florida State, although I don't think any of us think Florida State is all that good this year. So um, UCF, big ups to you. Keep it going. Playoff sleeper, you never know. All right, that's Joel Klatt. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. So let me, let, there was, you, fir, her, you first heard Kirk Herbstreet of ESPN, followed by Aaron Taylor of CBS and Joel Klatt of Fox. Talking about UCF's uh, postseason prospects here and uh, after that win at Georgia Tech. Of course, not conference schedule is over, at least as of now, as we enter conference play against uh, ECU uh, this coming Saturday. But... Um, Laying aside the national conversation for the moment, Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, um, we were just hearing a little bit about what Dylan Gabriel said on Monday, saying about UC- he thinks UCF is the best team in the state. So here's what Dylan had to say. I said what I said, and I, and I was confident in it. Um, it's up for you guys to feel whatever you guys want to feel. Everyone has the right to their opinion, but I, I still think we're the best team in Florida, and Truly, I don't care about rankings. Um, that's why we play the game of football is um, when you put two teams together, you, you see who wins, and, you know, that's, that's all I can do is whoever they put in front of us, you know, we can, all we can do is play and find, out, find a way to win. So um, we have no control over that. Uh, from this whole COVID thing, I've realized you can only control what you can control, and all we can control is being the team that's in front of us, and um, we got ECU this week, so that's all I'm focused on. Well, well, well. Let the Twitter let, let the Twitter discussion begin, right? Uh, so is is he right, you? Eric? Oh, go ahead. Well, well, here's my question, right? With all due respect, Murph, and, and our and our and our and our media brethren, if you will. I don't know if that's the proper terms here. It is For, right. It's fine. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I kind of was amused by the whole thing, and this all started with Dylan saying it in the post game, right, Murph, on Saturday. That, he, that UC thought they were they were the best team in the state because you know based on the fact Georgia Tech beat Florida State et cetera correct yes yeah, basically that's what he said so and the media I mean people jumped on that whoa he said they're the best team in the state and then to the point where on Monday in the media availability they asked him again about it like hey <laughs> you said that you were the best team in the state it was almost like and I'm yeah, thinking to myself, you still believe that like what's he gonna right. say ah you know what I watched the Miami game and maybe I'll change my mind. You know, right. No! Like, <laughs> what do you want him to say? Right. Like, of course he thinks he's the best team in the state. He better think he's that they're the best team in the state. I would be worried if they if he answered the question, like, you know, on second thought, guys, I thought we were the third best team in exactly. the state. I saw Miami. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm kind of blown away that people actually made that a bigger deal than it was. Is that just because we're bored, Murph? We just need to come hey, up with stuff it's, here? It's COVID. It's COVID, man. We need content. All right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I don't look. mind. I don't mind the question because I'm sure that the question was asked with the intent that he would say it again. Because you want him to hear him say it as much as possible because it, it's it's buzzy, you know. It, it plays well. So really, the the question I think was asked. Yeah, the question was asked about, you know, you know, does the do the coaches talk to you guys about you know maybe not being as you know proclamative and as as sort of you know uh, daring with your with your uh, opinions, but really the question was asked because he wanted Dylan to say it again, and Dylan said it again, and we're back in the cycle of like, wow, that sounds that's a good bite, it's a good, it's a good sound bite, and so that's why he was asked it. And look, I have no problem with Dylan saying it. It's it's great that he does. It's also weird because otherwise Dylan is very much a um, a coach speak quarterback, uh, and it, so it's it's really interesting. You know, like you ask him questions about. 
players or, or situations, and he's very just by the book and uh, you know kind of boring for the lack of a better term. But then sometimes he will just drop these lines that just perk your perk your ears up, like oh my god, uh, what's this? And I, that's definitely what happened on Saturday, and it did happen again on Monday. And it's great. It's great when I love it. We love it when players are honest. We love it when players are open. We love it when players say what's on their actual minds, not things that we know sound like they could have been coming from a coach. So let let me ask this question to the both of you, starting with you, Eric. Is he right? Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's too early. Boo, like, I, I, that's such know, a... I'm, Florida hasn't even played a game yet. Can we watch Florida play and Miami? You know, Miami's played two games. I think, I think right uh, now the only the only data that we have is if if there's anyone else, it, it would be based on what Miami did to Louisville. Right. right. And know. Miami played very well. I think I actually think we actually have three good teams in the state with Miami, Florida, and UCF. Florida State is, you know, whatever. They're terrible. But Florida State's uh, bad. Let's just say yeah, it. Yeah, they're pretty bad. So I don't know. I mean, but I mean, he has the right to say it, and I don't think he's wrong, and I hope he feels that way. I think he's – and look, forget what he thinks. The national media tends to kind of buy into it, right? Like, Kurt Herbstreit, you heard him. They, we should be in the playoff conversation. So, the UCF fans, that whole argument about, all oh, the media hates us and this or that, that's out the window now. You don't have that anymore. I hate to break it to the UCF fans, but you're not the villains. You're not the heels anymore. You're actually the baby faces. So, deal with it. Uh <laughs> Because you you're going to get frustrated about the rankings and all that, but at the bottom line, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I think I think UCF certainly. I mean, wouldn't a UCF Miami game be a great game? Heck yeah, I'd be. I enjoy that a UCF Florida game. I enjoy that too. Um, so yeah, I think UCF certainly is is played a high level. And it's great to see the media kind of Joe Clad Herbstree kind of pump him up. So good for him to say that. I hope he keeps saying that that we're the best team in the state. I just. Yeah, you know, let's not make it a. I mean, I that's what he's supposed to say. I don't want him to like. You know, what what else is he gonna say? So I, you know, um, I think it's uh, it's good to see. And right now, UCF's playing with a swagger, and I think that's a good thing too. And when you win a lot of games, you tend to have a swagger. And I think uh, we've seen that over the years in college football. So I, uh, you now, but let's can we just play a few more games before we make you know judgments and decisions on who's the best and all that? I feel like we always do that and. <laughs> We kind of jumped to over. Come on, man! It's 2020. We got teams. We got we got teams all over the place starting their seasons. You know, the Big Ten's coming back, and it's uh, it's it's all a huge it's all a huge mess at this point. I, I big mess. I you know we can, I, we, can we can cover that question next week, uh, and and the answer might still be the same, right? With with very little with very little data. Like one game is not a great sense of data. It's one point. Uh, but you know, let's, let's let, let like Eric's right. Let's at least wait till like the teams play the games. That's all. Yeah, we can't do like, that. Well, what are we gonna What are we gonna talk about for for, for by the, the next way, six weeks? Dylan Gabriel was asked about UCF not moving up in the rankings and said, "Quote: Truly, I don't care about rankings." To which I say, "Props to you, young scholar." <laughs> Maybe he no sounds one- like <laughs> sounds like he listens to the podcast, Mark. Maybe he listened to your, know. Your, following your lead. <laughs> we're listening to the you know he's 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 taking a look at the net you know the whatever the uh whenever the uh what do you call it the uh, cfb I, rankings come out like you say that's that's the most important one and you know are they going to use the ap as a guide i don't know ucf's kind of staying right where they are right now in the rankings and yeah and the, the coaches by the way they put the big 10 into the rankings which 
I really okay. Um, we are going to see the SEC for the first time this weekend. Um, you know, it's like I said, it's just going to be weird. We're, we're playing football in state. I mean, now we're now we're hearing what the Mac's going to come back, tr- trying to come back to play Everybody's a six game slate. Everybody, everybody, everybody baby. <laughs> you get a delayed season. You get a delayed. Everybody gets yeah, so a much, delayed. So season. much for that spring football idea concept. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. I, t- I tell you who I do not envy right now is is the people on that CFB committee because they're going to be making big decisions based on extremely limited data and. I you know I don't know it's they're going to go based on eye test which is what they've done right well, gonna go and if you're UCF you got to you got to pass the eye test at week in week out that's why that's why there's you know UCF faces more pressure I could argue than any other school in the country year you know what? especially Wait, the last 3 years yeah Oh I no 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 Oh definitely hold on hold on cuz not I only do you not a, more pressure because not only Alabama Alabama which if they win by 21 they still get criticized on because, a weekly basis because because ultimately within the house that criticism doesn't matter and they could make the playoff with with one loss anyway they have they yeah, have they, margin uh, for error I don't know about now, that Now we'll UC, UCF not only has to win it, assuming that everything is going to happen right that all these teams are coming back UCF not only has to win Right, but now that their lone non-conference game is 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 in the past, and was a blowout victory over an AC, over an ACC team, you know they not only have to win the rest of their games, they have to look really good doing it. You know that that's, but that's yeah, but that's college football in general. I don't think that's any. No, no, Ohio it's State. not. It, yeah. No, it's 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 not any different than Ohio State because sure. if Ohio State beats. Who's expected to be good? Michigan, you know, Michigan, Penn State, you know, by a yeah. field goal. Congrats! Right. They're not gonna, they're not gonna move down in the rankings. No, but I mean, I think if UCF beats Temple UCF. by three, yeah, UCF is gonna move. It, it, that's gonna be, that's gonna be looked at uh, with uh, with a much more scrutinous eye. And some would say, rightfully so. I mean, they should blow out Temple. But here's the thing: they got to worry about winning the conference first. Yep, I, because. Because here's the thing, right? Last year, they won 10 games. A lot of them were blowouts. They looked nice. Hey, it was beautiful. You know what happened? They lost them three games, so it didn't matter. So it, it, you got to win games, first of all, and win the conference. And I think that's the first step. And I think the coaching staff and the players know that. They're not thinking ahead about, hey, we got to score by 30 or 40. We just got to go win by win. And, you know, Murph wrote about this at the Banneret. Let's not take any of this for granted either, right, mm-hmm. Murph? Because there is no guarantee. You're guaranteed all these games every week. So let's just, rather than worry about where you're ranked and what does it mean for the playoff, how about we just, yeah, I don't know, this crazy well, concept, enjoy the football game. Well, well, let's look at this right now real quick, before, uh, Murph, because uh, we got word today USF's game is, is right. postponed due to uh, due to COVID-19. Um, uh, uh, Tulsa's game at Arkansas State. South Florida was supposed to play FAU. Um, uh, Houston was uh, supposed to play at home against North Texas. This is the third time that Houston's had a game swiped out from underneath them because of COVID-19. Um, UCF is on ABC this weekend because Notre Dame's game at Wake Forest got postponed because of COVID-19 concerns. So we still haven't put a lid on this thing yet, guys. We're still getting games uh, games wiped due to uh, the virus. And I'm a little uncomfortable about the fact that there are so many AAC teams involved with that. That that kind of, that that gets me worried because, you know, what's that going to mean down the road, right? It, it wasn't a good day, I imagine, in the AAC office to see three games in your conference 
scrapped on the same day. Yeah. Uh, that is bad. I think for Houston, if you include all of the schedule changes with the conferences going mostly, you know, in conference and not playing many out of conference games or other conferences just shutting down entirely, I think this is the fifth game that Houston has had wiped off their schedule uh, this year. But like you said, also the third game really in a row. And I can't imagine what that's like. Again, like I, like I wrote, we need to be grateful for every kickoff as much as we are happy for every UCF win because getting to Saturday is a challenge for all of these teams. And I really can't imagine what it's like for these coaches and these players on, on the Houston Cougars to sort of like ride this roller coaster of like of like, okay, we're preparing for this game. Oh no, it got it got canceled. Okay, we're preparing for our next game. Oh no, it got canceled. We're preparing for this game. Oh no, it got canceled. That's brutal. Mm. And they're not they're gonna go they're gonna go, you know, they're not gonna play until at least October. Memphis, with its with its cancellations, are gonna go between, about a month between their, their games. Uh, it's it's just it's it's not it's it's so it's just so it's just tough and for UCF to not have lost a game really in season you know so far yeah you know, to, you know to, to get off is, is to get off the way they did was was good hopefully they can keep it going um, I guess you could count the FIU game as a game they lost because FIU had to push their season back because yep. they they had to shut down but you know for right now like comparatively like UCF's kind of like. You know, knock on wood, but they've been doing a good job. Uh, at least yeah. the team, you know, has. So. But the problem is you could do everything right and you still may lose a game because the other team has issues. So Isn't that, isn't that the case with Houston in all three games? Yeah. Because right. Memphis had the Memphis had the issues. Baylor had the issues. North Texas had the issues. Houston didn't have the issues. Right. So I think you made a, that's a great article, and I encourage people to go to blackandgobanneret.com. Instead of – you know, I know we're going to worry about rankings and where is my – oh, why is Miami ranked Florida ranked? But I, I just think to me, this season in particular is a week-to-week. Let's get this game in. Hopefully they play well and enjoy it for that three- to four-hour block and then hope we get to do it again a week later because if I had to describe the 2020 college football season, it would be – the I would use the word of the Emmy Award-winning TV show, Shits Creek. That's how I would describe this college football season. <laughs> really, guys, we're, we're – we're, this football season, we're all up Shit's Creek. I want to make sure I'm talking about the TV show there. Uh, <laughs> what's funny too is that UCF, you know, Josh Heifel said this on on uh, Saturday night. UCF got there all clear that you that they were that they had passed their last virus test uh, on Saturday morning at 9:30 a.m. Saturday morning in a team meeting. They took their last test, which is a, ra- a rapid antigen test, I believe on Friday in Atlanta. So they flew Atlanta knowing they still had one more team test to go through. Uh, and so we're going to have games, you know, as we've seen before, we've, we've had games canceled on Fridays before. That's gonna, that, that, that There's always a chance that might happen. We might get through a, a whole week. UCF might go to East Carolina on Friday, and all of a sudden something happens and nothing, play, nothing is played. Uh, every day is like sort of you just sort of hold your breath a little bit and hope everything is fine. Um, and, and we're only talking about football. Not like the world at large and things that actually matter. This is only football, but for what for the space that we occupy, you know, this is what we care about right now. And it's you know, it's just you just uh, God, it's just exhausting. <laughs> I know, I know. It's I'm t- I'm telling you now. What's with that old uh, the old Chinese proverb? Um, May you live in interesting times. We are living in interesting times right now, man. Let me tell you, it's it's really been uh, it's really been. And this football season is you know. <laughs> 
I'm so I you know I know you keep laughing at this right, but I'm so glad that Josh Heupel's um, you know mantra of go one and zero has taken has taken on so you know so seamlessly because you know the fact remains is like the go one and zero no longer means like just win the game. It means like just get to the game. If you get to the game every week you've you've won something right, <laughs> right? right. so no, and, and, and i and again i and i thought it was very revealing we saw this um and i don't remember murph if he mentioned this in the post game but we saw this on the highlights package and they even put it on the night flicks that came out on wednesday night but josh heupel i mean that was a big celebration in the lot he said it was one of the best locker rooms he's ever been a part of which kind of jumped out at me but it tells you how much all the stress and all the stuff you can imagine that's gone through with the fact that you wondered if you even get to play this season, let alone play a game. Uh, I thought spot spoke volumes, right? When he said that in the post game in Atlanta. Absolutely. And all the players felt that too. The emotions of, you know, wow, we finally did it. We, now that we won the game, but we finally got to play the game. We finally got out here and, and, and got to enjoy each other for three hours and do what we love to do. And all the players shared in that. I think that's where all that emotion came from, you know, on Saturday night, Richie Grant talked about how during the summer he thought about, you know, maybe I should just start preparing for the NFL draft in 2021 because I don't know, as a senior, you know, this is before the NCAA came down with its eligibility decisions. He didn't know what kind of protections there were going to be for seniors in a, in a shortened or lost, you know, football season. So he thought maybe if, if they don't give me another year, I'll just back out and start preparing for the draft. And then obviously the eligibility decision came down and he was very, very happy about that. But, it just you know shows you where his mind was at at the summer. Otis Anderson said today, Wednesday, that certainly he thought about opting out as well, and actually kind of said that I think all the players at one time or another all had those thoughts, and that's probably the majority of casual players nationwide. And, and so I think to to go through that at that from that point, where you literally don't know if, if you're going to play the sport you love, really you know the the, the thing that the, the thing that defines you as a person. As a college athlete, you really are defined by the sport you play, certainly at a football level. And if you can't do that, then who are you? Uh, and so to go through all that and to come out and play a game and it feels normal and it's you know 60 minutes and everything else about it feels like an actual game, once you're done with that and you win, uh, the exhilaration, the emotional release, uh, that's what you saw there. And it's, 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 a, it's a special moment. Yeah. And here's to hopefully having that again uh, this Saturday up at ECU because, uh, again, the start of conference play, um, ECU's playing their first game of the season. Uh, this is going to be, you know, and again, COVID problems that have been dogging ECU throughout the entire time. This is finally their chance to take the field. And what are we going to get? Well, we're going to find out noon. ABC, once yeah, again, two ABC, straight yeah. weeks on ABC. Eric, what are we thinking for TV uh, TV numbers in that noon time slot now? Well, I, I think it's a, it's inter- it depends because, example, we talk about games get played or not. We, you know, as we record this Wednesday night, there's some people that wonder. For example, one of the competitions at noon is the Oklahoma Kansas State game at noon. Kansas State's pl- safe. They're playing with walk-ons right now because they've had some issues with COVID. So there's some questions whether that game still gets played or not. Uh, we may not know, to Merv's point, until Friday for sure, or, you know, if the game gets played or not. So, you know, you, you got Florida and Ole Miss on ESPN. You've got the Oklahoma game potentially on Fox. So that's tough competition there. I think if you get a million and a half to two million, I think you, you you're, all things considered you're satisfied 
because as you know, a lot of it will depend. If that game's a blowout early, people will tune out and go somewhere else, whether it be the Oklahoma game or the Florida game. And with it being the first SEC game of the year, I think there will be a lot of eyeballs on that game in particular, and obviously eyeballs on the Oklahoma game because that's the first Big 12 conference game. So tougher, stiff challenge. Uh, but if you can get a million and a half to two million, you know, it's okay. Anything above two million, I think you take it as a celebration there. But look, the, the reason that happened, yes, the Notre Dame game obviously got postponed. That helped. But, you know, they drew three million for the Georgia Tech game, which was a good number in that slot. It's the fourth largest UCF uh, football telecast nationally all time in a regular season game. And uh, I think the networks were happy with this. And while I agree with Murph and Dylan Gabriel that the rankings don't matter, I agree with 99% of it. There is the 1%, and Jeff, yeah. you alluded to it, and that is that ranking does help you get TV time slots. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like UCF being ranked, and being it helps in that matter. If UCF was unranked, that game stays probably on ESPN+. Plus. But because it's ranked, it becomes an attractive option to put on ABC as opposed to some of the other options they had. Now, it is worth mentioning, some people have asked this question, and I wrote this on Black and Gold Banneret. We have all the details here exclusively on the Banneret. You can't, the SEC, up until uh, for the next uh, – any SEC games cannot be on ABC because CBS is the exclusive rights holder to network games airing SEC games. Yeah, over the, over the air broadcast, right. Over the air. Now, that will change at around 2024 when ESPN takes over the entire rights to the SEC unless they buy out CBS before that. But until then, so as a result, the SEC cannot air on ABC. And so when you that took away those as options, and then you look at the rest of the options, and you, I think they decided that UCF-ECU was the best option there. And again, it helped the fact that UCF brought some eyeballs the week before in drawing that $3 million for the Georgia Tech game. Now, I do have to ask this question, Jeffrey, because we kind of avoided, thankfully, a topic that we were going to have to address if this game would have stayed on ESPN+. Because there's obviously some people would have been upset. They were already griping about, well, we got to go on ESPN Plus and things. I, I want to point out a listener who tweeted at us at UCF underscore Banneret who asked this question as a result of the TV numbers and all that. And he asked a, a Cletty Lee, the Twitter, a shout out to him, uh, to the person listening. And he asked the question, can Mike Oresco renegotiate the TV deal? This has been a topic because people aren't happy with the ESPN Plus deal. Uh, do you want to address that first, Jeffrey, as somebody that uh, – because uh, we've addressed this a lot. We've had Michael Smith on from the Sports Business Journal. But I, I feel like give you the first reins on this. Wait, well, why? <laughs> well, I, I, let, me ask, let me bring up two questions. Uh, do, you know, there's two things that I think are fair questions to ask. And I, and I think the deal – at the end of the day, Mike Oresco, by the way, should get credit because this – under last year's contract, UCF would not have been able to be on ABC because odds are this game would have been on CBS Sports Network. Exactly. So let's, so let's bring that out. The fact you stayed on ESPN ABC has this bigger platform. So that helps. There are two questions that I think are fair to ask. The 12-year, the length of the deal, 12 years, which apparently there's no opt-outs. So to answer Cletty's question, no, they technically, officially, he can't renegotiate. However... However, as Jeffrey, you could, uh, as somebody who's worked in television, just because the contract says you can't renegotiate right now doesn't mean down the road things may not change. There's always a loophole here and there they could find, you know, maybe. Yeah. Some- well, especially in, the, right? especially in the case of the Americans contract, because 
if teams leave, that then that gives ESPN the option to essentially reopen negotiations. And I think that it actually it did did occur with UConn, but I wasn't I didn't hear of any updates on it from there. Um, uh, but probably because TV realized UConn brings no money, no value in football, and they said we're going to lose more money. Actually, we'll lose money if we keep UConn right. in football. So thank you, Lee. Thank you for leaving. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but in general, like this is why you want to keep that that relationship with ESPN and Disney, you know, so solid, right? Is because it gives you the opportunity, it gives yeah. you a much better opportunity to be on ABC in the event that those things kind of happen. And I get that everyone's like, well, uh, shoot, I'm not going to be able to watch the game on ESPN+. Plus." Well, yes, you are, all right? Go, it's it's what, five, uh, $5, $5.99 a month? I mean, uh, and whether we like it or not, that's where things are going to be headed, right? Cause right, across who kn- the board. We don't across know, and, and right now we don't know, and, and this is something that I've seen from a number of places, is that, COVID-19 sped everything up about 10 years in terms of business, especially in the media business. So we're going to see more and more games on ESPN+. Plus. We're going to see more and more non-football events on ESPN+. Plus. Um, and personally, you know, I don't, if you're UCF, you kind of don't mind that because A, you can always get picked up if something goes wrong. And B, you're still in that, you're still under that umbrella, right? So, you can produce, you know, we don't know, at least as of right now, you know, who's going to produce these games. But, you know, I'd rather have ESPN doing it than CBS, which doesn't even factor into the ratings, at least as of right now. So I agree. I agree with that. And it's important. Look, the ESPN Plus thing, it, it is part of the future. I will say, if I were to tweak some things there, I wish they would have a deal where, for example, like for, and I don't know if Murph qualifies this, but if you're an eight, you, you subscribe to HBO. Uh, you could get HBO Max as part of the deal. Mm-hmm. If uh, I wish they would have done where ESPN Plus was, if you were you were a subscriber to e- all the ESPN platforms, that ESPN Plus could have been included, uh, and just leave that for the people that weren't. Well, I, th- uh, I think that I, I think that if you're an ESPN Plus subscriber, you do get uh, you do get bundled in for, for like what used to be Insider. I think if the, is that right. Right, I think so, but you still got to pay. Whereas, other words, yeah. for example, if you have, like, I have my cable package, I have ES- all the ESPN channels, so in theory, I would have liked to have gotten, like, ESPN Plus, so, you know, on, as a part of that, because I'm already paying for the other ESPN. So I, I understand some of the questions there, but at the end of the day, here's the, the what I would say. South Florida this week played Notre Dame. Big deal, right? Except they got moved to USA Network because NBC had golfed the U.S. Open. It did a terrible number. And you know why? Because <laughs> Cause it was on looking. USA. No. <laughs> right. And I, think we I haven't watched re- USA since the Cartoon Express was on. Well, here's the thing. If you're a college football fan, you have no reason to ever go to USA Network. And I think we sometimes take for granted just the familiarity of knowing, hey, I know if I tune in on Sunday at 1 o'clock on CBS or Fox, there's going to be an NFL game on. Or if I'm tuning into ABC or ESPN on a Saturday, there's going to be college football on. Uh, I think that there is value to that still that I think gets lost a lot of times. And I think we saw an example of that. Again, that's why it's not an accident. If you look at UCF's four most watched regular season games of all time nationally, the South Carolina game in 2013, the South Florida game in 2017, 
the Cincinnati primetime game in 2018, and this Georgia Tech game. What do they all have in common? ABC. That's on the broadcast matter. network, yeah. Yeah, and if and if that game is on NBC Sports Network, nobody's watching it because people aren't used to going to that channel to watch college football. They're used to going there for something else. Uh, so to me, that's you know, and, and you know, no offense, Murph, but that's one of the issues that Major League Baseball has had, as we'll segue into nights in the pros. With the postseason coming up, a lot of times part of the issue that baseball has is what, where is the baseball playoff game on? Because a lot of people are not still used to tuning into TBS on a regular basis to catch a baseball game. They're used to Sir ESPN or Fox. So in the industry, that's been part of the conversations. And that's one of the reasons why the NFL in their next TV deal is more than likely going to keep it on Fox, CBS, NBC, and probably ABC will be in the mix because people are used to seeing football on those networks. Well, baseball has a ton of issues. Actually, baseball has a Shit's Creek ton of issues. I'll make sure I'm talking about the TV show. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just it's it's more than just that. But I no, I, I totally agree with your with your with all your conversation there. Uh, that this is this is great for UCF. Like bottom line, it's really good. It is. It is great. It is tremendous, and I think we should just enjoy the fact that UCF now is a player. They're becoming a player in yeah. the sports television industry from a football standpoint. Where before it's like, oh man, do we have to put them on? Now networks like ESPN, hey, you know what? Let's put them on. Uh, and I think that's a positive, and I think it's positive for the league. And I know. And again, I keep getting asked about the mil- seven million a year and all that. The next step for the league is to get a bigger TV deal because. You know, there's still a lot of questions about the league. Who's going to join UCF as a consistent TV ratings watcher? In other words, can a Cincinnati with Luke Fickle be consistent? And Kurt Herbstreit brought this up on the podcast. I know we played the clip at the beginning. He made a great point. UCF now has been around for a few years. You know, and it, you know, and I, with all due respect to the O'Leary era, there was such a roller coaster that you didn't know what you were going to get on a given year most of the time. Whereas since 2017, you kind of know what you've gotten from UCF. They have an identity, and you've been around. And he mentioned the comparison to Boise State. That matters in television. The next step for the American is, can a Cincinnati join UCF and be consistent? And can they draw eyeballs to television? Can a Houston bounce back and become rel- you know, significant? If you're the American, that's what you need. And if that happens, guess what? you're going to start making more money from a television standpoint down the road. Yeah, it's it's something that, you know, we, the American has had sort of a revolving door of competitors. And we were talking about it earlier. At one time, it was ECU. Now, obviously, Cincinnati's kind of in there. And, um, and Memphis is having their moment, too. But what's it going to look like this year? I don't know. There's a lot of questions that we still have to answer. And we're going to start, obviously, with this game. Noon on Saturday, UCF against ECU. On ABC, like you mentioned, Dave Pash, Mike Golick Senior on the yes, field. and they're now they're not going to be there in person. They're going to be at their respective correct man caves, I guess you could say. Yeah, they'll be joining Murph and you and me, all of us watching on TV. all of us on <laughs> watching on TV the game from Greenville. So, um, so we'll be watching it, Murph. I know you'll be uh, keeping track of things. We'll all be on Twitter following along very, very closely, and. Um, what else do we have coming up? I know you're going to have your checklist coming out too, right? Well, we got so we got so well. First of all, can you got to let Murph know about the bad? Murph's got to break the. Oh, that's bad right. News we do have some this week. Well, we're really going to make us end on bad news, Eric. I was well, trying to well, avoid no, it. I, I, well, I mean, we got to address it. I mean, let's be fair to Murph. Murph is uh, a big baseball guy. One of the reasons he couldn't join us for the interview is 
He was a little bummed out because Dylan Moore has been a big part of this show, carried us when we didn't have football. We were our, But it looks like, Murph, our campaign for the American League MVP has come to an abrupt end. Yeah, I'm like the guy who uh, has the unfortunate uh, job of walking around an NFL locker room at the end of preseason to tell guys they've been cut. Uh, that's basically what I am here at the end of the show. Yes, Dylan Moore, who, let's be honest, has had the best season of any UCF alum in Major League Baseball ever. And I know it's not a very big list, but still, it's true. Uh, he's not going to play for the rest of the year. Granted, the season is only uh, a few, uh, only has a few more days left in it. But he's been put on the concussion IL because Dylan Moore's had a really bad run of luck. <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh, but it's just it's just weird how his season has ended. About a week ago, I think seven days ago exactly, he got hit in the head with a 98.7 mile an hour fastball. He stayed down for about 45 seconds, then got up went to first base and stayed in the game for a bit. And so whatever, that was fine. He, and then he would, you know, went on to play some more games later on. And then last night, or I believe two days ago, he was hit in the head again with another fastball at 92.2 miles an hour. And I think at this point, the Mariners, whose season is done uh, effectively, just said, let's not even fool around with that. They put him on the DL. No, and, what they said the was, Dylan, what they said was, Dylan, you're way too valuable. We're shutting you down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. I mean, really, it is. It's just concussion IL, being being cautious. But I, I just want to, as we as we sort of, you know, like wrap his season, Dylan Moore came into this year as nothing really more than a utility player who, guy, who teams wanted to have around – because he was good, he gave you flexibility defensively. He could play third base, he could play left field, he could play shortstop or second, and that's why he made the Mariners roster. Really, he was one of the last guys to make the Mariners 30-man roster. Um, because again, last year, he his slash line 206 batting average, 302 on base, 389 slugging, and now this year 255, 358, 496, and that was with a late season slump. Uh, which saw his average drop by about 40 points. Uh, he crushed fastballs. He had a 330. He had like a 340 average on fastballs this year, and slugged over 600 on fastballs. He had a lot, a lot of hard hit balls with what we call barrels. If you look at barrel rate, which means basically how perfectly do you hit the ball in terms of uh, exit velocity and launch launch angle, he's among the top 40 players in major leagues as far as far as replicating those kind of events. Uh, he really kind of came into his own as a hitter. And all of a sudden, has now transformed from being a utility player to possibly being a guy that the Mariners keep, you know, maybe near the top of their lineup next season. Which is just—it's it's amazing how his career has blossomed here in this past year um, for a guy who is 27. You know, he's not exactly young, but he's really come into his own. What do we make of his prospects for 2021? Is he like a guarantee now to make the team next year? Uh, he's absolutely guaranteed. Yes, he's a guarantee to make the team. Uh, I would, you know, we'll see what they do. You know, the Mariners are, are, are in a long rebuilding phase here. And so we'll see what they do with their lineup. They, But, like, right now, I would say I'd pencil them in for, you know, probably second in the lineup. But, you know, maybe he, you know, if, if they get some better production out of the guys who are coming up through their minors league system, maybe he moves down to, like, six, seventh or eighth. But I'm what we're saying now is that, you know, this time last year, to say that Dylan Moore is locked into a starting nine spot in a major league baseball team, it, it was it was kind of nuts. Like, why would you do that? The, the guy can't really hit, uh, and all he's good for is like late inning defensive replacements. And he, uh, whatever it was, he he solved those issues. And he still 
He still strikes out too much, but like really, who does in the major leagues? Uh, other than like four or five guys, uh, it just you know. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> wow, wow, that's right. Who does that strike out? Everybody strikes out. Way to slough uh, that one off. <laughs> I mean, really, that's 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 just the game. That, that is the game, and really, I think Dylan understands too. Like, you have to sort of give that up to sort of you know you have to give up your your contact in order to provide power, and all of a sudden, Dylan Moore hitting uh, you know eight home runs in a, in 38 games. Uh, guys, that extrapolates out to a 30 home run season, and I'm not sure if I'm ready for Dylan Moore to have a 30 home run season. That doesn't that doesn't, that doesn't compute in my mind. But uh, but that's the kind of guy he was this year. That's on So with Dylan Moore now season over, who's gonna pick up the UCF alum slack here with the playoffs starting a week from now? Like at this time, I don't know what we're gonna do, Jeffrey, because uh, you know we normally record on Wednesday night. Well, next Wednesday night, there's gonna be eight playoff games going on i don't know how murph's gonna handle all that but who can we look for for some ucf uh you know juju here in the postseason <laughs> well the only guy we've got is dan winkler because the rockies aren't going to make it the Mariners aren't going to make it and bo taylor is at the alternate site for the indians uh, as their third catcher so so really it's just dan winkler but as we talked about uh, on the last show he's done pretty well but since the since that last show he's had <laughs> He's had two relief appearances in which he gave up runs um, and uh, and hasn't pitched the last couple days. Uh, but he'll still probably make the Cubs playoff roster. He'll be in, in middle relief, hopefully in some high leverage situations. Um, you know, but uh, but that's the one guy. That's the only guy that UCF fans can latch on to here in the baseball playoffs. Unless, yeah. unless Cleveland suffers some sort of catching injury in the next uh, few days in which they have to call it Bo Taylor. Well, you... You, that, from a player standpoint, uh, that's true. But Chad Matola, UCF Athletic Hall of Famer, hitting coach with the Rays, the American League East champion, Tampa Bay Rays. Yes. I, yes. I want to mention that over again. Uh, what is your thoughts on Chad Matola, the job he's done, and could this, depending on how they do in this postseason, could he become a managing candidate in Major League Baseball? Because the Rays have had a bunch of guys end up going to become managers from the race system like Charlie Montoyo, Dave Martinez, Rocco Baldelli uh, could could you know depending on how they do this postseason could Chad Matola become a name because the Rays quietly have been one of the highest scoring run offenses in baseball no absolutely I don't know I don't know his managerial prospects I'm not even sure if you know obviously you would like a, a payday and and more notoriety but I'm not sure you know, sometimes sometimes guys don't want those gigs they they like where they're at so i don't know that with with chad i will say that the i mean if you thought the tampa bay rays were, were going to have the second best record in major league baseball by the end of this weird season look we all thought they were going to be a playoff team i think we all thought about that um but we thought their pitching was going to carry them and that they were going to score enough runs instead what's happened is they've they've really battled through so many pitching injuries and guys have had really good offensive seasons. And um, so, no, it's a lot of credit to Chad Matola. Uh, but it, so, yeah, if you want to root for a UCF, a UCF alum, you can root for the Rays as well, which I'm sure plenty of our listeners already do. Um, yeah. How convenient. The Rays being the one seed in the American League playoffs, that's, that is a thing that is about 95% going to happen. Wow. Tell you, man. What a weird year, 2020. More baseball coming our way. We got eight teams in each league heading in, and best of three first round. I've been 
asking for that for years and I finally got it. Thank goodness. Oh, you're, you're the worst. I, I am. I Listen, I own it. I just wish that they played all three games at the home field advantage listen, teams site. But they're listen, doing it neutral I'm, site anyway, so. Listen, with all, I mean, I'm a Marlins fan. We may or may not get in. You realize we've lost games in this month by like 20 runs, 11 <laughs> runs, and 15 runs, and we might still make the playoffs. That's probably a problem with your playoff format. I'm just saying, with all due respect. I don't think we should be in the playoffs. Well, well, no, you want to get into the playoffs, Eric, because every time the Marlins make the playoffs, they win the World Series. Well, if that happened this year, <laughs> then, boy, that's... Um, they've been, I don't know that, seriously, I don't they've know. been in the playoffs twice and won the World Series twice. What more do you want? Well, <laughs> well, probably some better pitching right now because we're not we're, we're or get out of Atlanta. We can't get anybody out on the Braves. Can we just do that? Get them, get them out. You know, just, <laughs> All right. Well, I, will, I will say that you know the, the with you know four days to go in the season, the Mariners are or, excuse me, the Mariners, the Marlins are a game clear in the in the playoffs. They would need I think two teams to pass them. Uh, so so it's it's looking okay eric i mean i don't want to i don't want to count those eggs yet well, are but... you are you are your yankees gonna lay down and give us a game or two here i mean or, or what are you guys gonna do well i think the yankees are pretty much locked into the four five right. game yeah with... just take a nosedive just play your backup yeah Please. with either <laughs> with either cleveland or or or, or, or excuse me either uh minnesota or, or or the white Sox. that you know i have enough problems with the yankees that we can't really get into uh, <laughs> Don't even get me started. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. It'll be fun to watch baseball. I'm, 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 I'm excited for this for this year to see what this looks like. But yeah, I'm definitely not a fan of the expanded playoffs. It makes what is already a laborious and interminable, you know, season become even more worthless. And it's just not. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. All right. All right. Can we please end on a positive note here? Send the folks yeah, home with something here's good. Positive note. Here's the positive note. Blake Bortles is back in the NFL. That's right. That's right. Blake is back. He's with the Denver Broncos. And here, here, here's this. He's going to be backing up Jeff Driscoll. So at one point, so oh, as I tweeted earlier this week, Oviedo is the new Western Pennsylvania because we have a we have simultaneous graduates of Haggerty High School and Oviedo High School, both in the same quarterback room in the NFL with the Denver Broncos. Because Driscoll went to Haggerty, same time that Blake was at Oviedo. Of course, Driscoll's career, we know how that went in college. But Bortles, um, you know, we know how his career went in college. And then obviously skipped away in the pros. But with the injury to Drew Locke, who was coached to prominence by one Josh Heupel at the University of Missouri. Um Wow, what an interesting uh, what an interesting moment I that love will be. That. Yeah. That is phenomenal. I'm that telling you, man. Good. Could you imagine I was never at, I wish I'd known who had won the game cuz I know Oviedo played Haggerty at some point in 20 2009, I think, right? I mean, right, right. I don't know. That's a good question. We got to we're going to have to reach out to the Denver Broncos media relations and figure that out. I mean, we got AJ Bouye too reunited with Blake. Yep. I mean, yeah. I'm, I gotta say, I gotta say, if he can somehow get on the field with Jerry Judy, my boy KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, that's pretty good for Blake. And I mean, I mean, not, I mean, it could be better with Cortland Sutton or Philip Lindsay, but they have so many injuries. And I, again, I'm gonna be like the Eeyore of this podcast. I'm totally bought <laughs> yeah. into it now. I'm fine. That. 
like, like Blake Bortles is going to go out there and probably fall behind by 20 points and then like somehow score three touchdowns but come up just short because that's what he's done his entire career at Jacksonville. Is but, that hey, Gardner makes you right now? But he's actually playing pretty well. No, he really is. He really <laughs> hey, he, yeah. It's amazing that Gardner Minch is playing well, but we're, we, we digress. I will also give props to, to Gabe Davis Ooh, on, his first, on his first career NFL touchdown and not your run-of-the-mill NFL touchdown. A laying flat out with the ball. With somehow the nose of the ball does not touch the ground. I'm not sure how it didn't. And he catches a clutch, clutch touchdown in a close game between Miami and Buffalo this past weekend. Acrobatic, athletic, great hands, all the things we know that Gabe Davis can do. Uh, you know, fantastic. By the way, 2009, Haggerty defeated uh, Oviedo 35-28 behind one Jeff Driscoll. So there's that. Playing against Blake Bortles, nonetheless. Uh, and that game was uh, at Haggerty, by the way, just north of UCF's campus. So, uh, sure, I'm sure there'll be a post. I'm sure there'll be an article on that on like in like the Denver Post. No, there. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is uh, there is video here uh, in the uh, on YouTube of it. I'm actually looking at it um, right now. And Haggerty won the district. They clinched the district championship with that win. So. Uh, they're holding up a trophy and everything that year, so it's pretty cool. All right, we'll send. I think we will send that immediately to our SB Nation friends uh, uh, who cover the Denver Broncos. So, and I think we're just stalling for time here as we wait to <laughs> congratulate Eric Lopez on Miami be going up three to one in the American uh, Eastern Let's Conference. Let's go, baby! Yeah, woo! Thank you for talk. Yes, uh, Taco Fall. Unfortunately. Down to one game, uh, one lo- more loss away from being out of the bubble. But uh, sorry, Taco. But you know, you, we love you know, Taco. It's no, no hard feelings, you know. But just, you know. just not personally. Yeah, the Heat have just gone up three games to one, so I can now breathe a little bit. But uh, hopefully, it works out for Blake. Traquan had a good Monday night game too, and Michael Thomas is absent, so that was good to see. That was some of the other. I that was really. I mean, that's the only storylines that had jumped out to me from a UCF NFL weekend, right? Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Traquan did have like Traquan had that really one really nice catch and run where he fought off a few guys. That was really spe- special. Um, you, you know, kind of worried about that Saints offense without Michael Thomas, though. <laughs> um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if Traquan can, can we like can somebody get knock on Bill O'Brien's door, hit him in the head, and say, "Play Jordan Akins already. Stop playing this Fells guy at tight end for God's sake." Well, it's because Darren Fells is a good blocker, basically. Now, they shouldn't have Darren Fells running routes, and that's the problem. See, Darren Fells scored a touchdown last weekend that totally should belong to Jordan Akins because Darren Fells should not be running routes. should be Jordan Akins. He's a much he's – a, he, they're both the same size, but Akins is a more – he's more of a mismatch. He's more athletic. Uh, it's, he's just a more dangerous threat. And so, yeah, he can't block that as well. But I don't care. I want to see him running down the seam. And at least it's positive that he has gotten, I believe, 80% of the snaps in first, the first two games, which that, that didn't happen in back-to-back games last year. So certainly his role is growing in Houston. Um, I, I've said it since the beginning of the year. He is the one UCF alum among all the guys that are in the league that I think can have a real breakout, like by definition, a breakout campaign. Because Houston needs receiving targets. My God, they need receiving targets. DeAndre Hopkins, come back, please. And and he is. And he is yeah, I mean, so Deshaun Watson's asking that so is probably begging yeah. for that too. Yeah, and DeAndre, and and so Jordan's a mismatch. Um, but you know Bill O'Brien's a bad coach. Yes, There's a lot is. of bad coaches. Just send him, a, 
Why can't he just join the giant staff with all the other mediocre huh. coach? Well, they'll, <laughs> fi- they'll, fi- they'll fire. Don't worry. Him. They'll find a way to get him on staff eventually. <laughs> they'll have they'll have Bill O'Brien be the quality control coach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Once they or once they oh, once they when they fire Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator, they'll install Bill O'Brien. I want to say this is a really good ending to this podcast. We had Dylan Moore getting beamed in the head twice. We had me sl- we had me slandering Blake Bortles, but not really slander. <laughs> let's be honest. Not really. Bill O'Brien's an awful coach, uh, and, and the I Giants are going like, nowhere. <laughs> Giants I'm cheering, awful. I'm and the, I'm cheering against Taco Fall in the conference final. We are not in, in, in my defense, he hasn't played, so he's, am I technically Wait, rooting against no, him? No, here's, here's the thing. I... We are cheering for the Heat and Taco Fall. We want Taco Fall to do well. We want the Heat to do well. That's, as a Laker, the two as things a can happen fan, at the same time. As a Lakers fan, all of Boston Celtics, except for Taco, could go fall into a pit of fire for <laughs> all that I really care about. Oh my God. So it's fine with me. Uh, also, like you know, it, it, this is great. Let's just wrap it up because this thing has gone yeah. completely right. off the rails. We've got <laughs> this last segment is really has really been taken forever. Sorry, everybody. Uh, make sure you follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Of course, follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy, especially on Saturday where we will uh, be following the game. Uh, noon kickoff on ABC. Don't forget to get all of our uh, latest news, our daily newsletter from uh, Jeremy Brenner. Uh, also, don't forget uh, to follow all the rest of uh, our staff members at Black and Gold Banneret, including um, Andrew Glukov at Stat Boy Drew, Danny Medina at Danny Medina News, uh, and uh, also, uh, of course, Jeremy at Jeremy Brenner. Uh, and, every, and again, huge thanks to everybody Uh, who makes this all happen week in and week out. This is our time to shine here with football. So it was good to write about football again last week. It's going to be good to write about it again. Hopefully we can keep on going and not lose any any games to to COVID issues. And it would be a good thing for everybody as we can keep this thing uh, moving forward. All right, for Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the game at noon on ABC on Saturday. Catch you next week.